Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts, Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata. I'm joined by Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. And the Miami Dolphins coming off a very depressing loss against the Cincinnati Bengals. Final score, Cincinnati. 27, Miami, 17. Miami Dolphins had a dominating lead through three quarters, 17 to three after three, and then Cincinnati scores 24 straight. It was a embarrassing day. It was a depressing day. It was, in no uncertain terms, everything they did well in the first half, in the first three quarters, you couldn't even look at, you couldn't even talk about just because of the collapse in the fourth quarter. However, before we get into the current state of the Dolphins, and this show is going to be a little different than our usual Wednesday morning show. As you know, Wednesday mornings, we usually preview the upcoming game, and that would be the Miami Dolphins versus Chicago Bears on Sunday. However, today we are not doing that. We will have another episode later in the week with the Bears preview. Today, and for the next few days, for those listening, we're going to talk about the state of the Miami Dolphins and where they go from here. Three and two tied for first place in the AFC East. That sounds wonderful. But there's a difference between a three and two Miami Dolphins team and a three and two Patriots team. And while you may say, well, that's obvious, it, it, it's, it's bad. It's a bad situation. We're going to talk about it. But I do want to say I was in Cincinnati this past weekend with Sutton with some of Sutton's friends that then became my friends and your friends too. We met a few of our Finsider Radio fans. I know Kevin was out there, met us up on Saturday evening. A few others saw us around at the different bars, saw us around at the game, made sure to come over and say hi. So that was very nice to see everybody out there. But Sutton, you know, I we had a great time for three quarters. In our section, we were literally the only Dolphins fans in that entire area. It was me, you, and I think, what was it, six, seven of us others. And we were on top yeah. of the world through three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, we just sat there not saying a single word. And we deservedly got it in our faces verbally. Thank God, just verbally. But we sat there and we took it because we had no choice but to take it. But, you know, through three quarters, it was a fun time. The last quarter was rough. <laughs> Two hours or so afterwards was rough until we got to a restaurant and drank some beer and ate some pizza. But, you know, Sutton, before you get into your whole thing about how much fun you had, uh, we lost you. We lost you after the game for two hours. And 
I think you were so depressed that you ended up in an entirely different state. Tell us about that. Yeah, that fourth quarter had me so discombobulated with what I was watching that when the game was over, I walked across the bridge over to Kentucky instead of, you know, staying in Ohio. Uh, you know, the the walk was only 10 minutes long, so I don't know why I thought Repeat walking that. across the bridge was the smart decision to make at the time. However, I wasn't really thinking about anything. I was so, I don't know, like blank there for a while. Just like, did that just happen? Did that game just happen? And I... It just dawned on, on me how quite a few games I've been to have ended in devastating fashion. I was there against the Cleveland Browns when Colt McCoy was quarterback and they threw a last-second touchdown to Muhammad Massaqua in the back corner of the end zone. They end up winning the game at the very last second. I was at the Detroit game a few years ago where Theo Riddick caught a pass at the very end. I think there's probably 30 seconds left in that game. Lost that game. And then this game was just so brutal the way it all unfolded just because, you know, we're up three possessions. It's not a very well-attended game by Cincinnati fans, and they were kind of flat coming into the game. Like, no one was giving us any crap. Like, it just seemed like they were just kind of there to be there. And I thought, like, yes, this is going to be a great game to just come in here, steal this real quick, get the hell out of here, go go back home 4-1, and going back home to Hard Rock and play the Chicago Bears. But instead, we're uh, – we're at three and two and my, oh my, how quickly narratives can change in the national football league. Sutton, you walked into a different state. That's how discombobulated you were after this loss. Let that sink in. You walked to an entirely different state after the game. Walked across <laughs> long bridge to a different state. Yeah. Yeah. This game is going to leave a stain on my soul for a while. So just some quick background. I mean, I went back to the hotel with, with my cousins and Sutton's friends found us at the hotel and they came and they said, we lost Sutton. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I just talked to him at 4.15. He said he would find us at the hotel and this was like 5 o'clock. And so I called Sutton about eight times over the next 45 minutes and he was not answering. Keep so, in mind, my phone died, everyone. My phone died. Sutton's phone died. So if you know Sutton and if you don't know Sutton, Sutton, when he drinks a little too much, gets a little mouthy with some people around him. And uh, so all we were thinking was Sutton was talking trash to a Bengals fan, got into a fight, was bleeding to death in some alley or ran over or stuffed into a dumpster. And we were thinking of the worst. So we're sitting there thinking, we're like, okay, what are we going to tell his wife that we lost him? When did we lose him? How did we lose him? We're just going to say he was partying too hard on Saturday night and just never made it back home. Are we going to tell her the truth that he was at the stadium? We lost him after that. And then I'm thinking the last words that she said to me on Saturday when we picked up Sutton at his house was make sure you don't let him talk trash to other fans because you know how he gets. And, uh, and so I started thinking about that. I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to kill me. And then we look at one of Sutton's friends. And like, you know her the longest. You're going to break the news to her that we can't find him. <laughs> and then uh, we were just about to leave the hotel, all six of us, seven of us, uh, to put out a search party for Sutton. We were going to search the entire city of Cincinnati and look all over for him. And then he walks in the room and just goes on an epic rant about the Miami Dolphins dropping F-bombs left and right about everybody and anybody and uh you know it took us a little while to get over that game i think it's a lot harder to get over a game like that in person than it is watching home and, and joining everyone else who is watching home but you know that game allowed me to have some self-reflection and 
I started going off on Twitter like I always do after games. And I always tell myself, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then it just happens. And one tweet leads to another tweet. But on my 14-hour car ride home yesterday, I thought a little bit, not a lot. I thought a little bit about my Twitter uh, escapades and, and what I do on there. And uh, this morning and late last night, I really cleaned out my lists that I have. And I really narrowed it down because there is a lot of uh, garbage out there on Twitter. There is a lot of dark areas on Twitter. And if you allow the negativity to seep into you, it can become a very, very bad thing. And at the end of the day, while we know some of you, uh, we don't know all of you. And it's it's fun to have conversation. It's fun to have discussion. But it doesn't make any sense to get into a heated argument with someone behind a computer screen that I've never met before or you've never met before. So, you know, it allowed me some self-reflection. And I think I'm going to take a different approach moving forward on Twitter, uh, trying to filter out a lot of the negative noise that is out there. Doesn't mean I'm going to sit here and uh, talk about rose-colored glasses and say everything is great because it's not great. And that's going to lead us into our next discussion. And I'm not going to get on my soapbox first. I'm going to let Houts get on his soapbox first because Houts, even though I'm an optimist by nature, we know Houts is as well. And we know Houts has been one of the biggest Ryan Tannehill supporters over the years and in terms of you know, having faith in him that he can really turn things around. And while we all bang the table on this show for the before the draft, we all still had hope that Ryan Tannehill could continue the success he had before he got injured in his first season with Adam Gase. But how else I'm going to turn it over to you. What is your current thinking of the state of the Miami Dolphins and where do we go from here? All right. First, let me say thanks for the invite, guys. Uh, it sounds like you guys had a great time, and I was working and sitting at home in Pennsylvania. Uh, didn't get to watch the game live. Rushed home. Fast forward through it. You know the Dolphins are up. I'm real excited. I'm like, okay, this this is awesome. But in the back of my head, I just knew the Dolphins had that. You know, it's a Dolph. Somehow they're going to blow this lead, and I'm going to be left in heartbreak. So I mean, people sit there and they watch a three-hour game. I condensed all those emotions into about 40 minutes and got caught up live and. Uh, I think that was when Ryan Tannehill threw that interception that we all just, to this day, don't know what the hell he was thinking. We know he was trying to avoid an intentional grounding. Probably could have threw the football to you guys in the stands. Probably would have been a better idea. But to say he threw it, I think it was Dermot Smythe, bounced it right off his head into uh, Michael Johnson's arms for the touchdown. That tied the game. And then you saw what happened after that. Uh, it was just a terrible, terrible performance in the second half. You kind of wonder who's the most to blame. I mean, we know the offensive line. Uh, it's kind of hard for any quarterback in the NFL to overcome what uh, the Dolphins have to or what Ryan Tannehill has to because at the end of the day, this offensive line was finally, you know, slightly above average, pretty good heading into this year. Sitting goes down. Okay, so we move on from that. And then you see Kilgore down. Okay, you move on from that. And then you see Larry Tunsil with a concussion. Okay, so now you got Ryan Tannehill out there. You know, he. Uh, we can say what we want. We're all fans of Ryan Tannehill. We all hope he succeeds because if he succeeds, the Dolphins succeed. But at the end of the day, Ryan Tannehill is a slightly above average quarterback. He can win football games in the NFL. There are some teams in the NFL, maybe five, six teams, who would love that Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback. But at the end of the day, when the pressure's on, when the game is on his shoulders, uh, and then you add in the offensive line that's banged up. Yeah, in all those different circumstances, the play calling was just terrible in the second half. Uh, no run game. They completely abandoned Frank Gore for whatever reason. I mean, I, I was pissed knowing that Frank Gore was in there getting all those carries to begin with because you got Kenyon Drake there who 
uh, a year before you thought he was so good that you were going to move J.H.I. to Philly. We all know that worked out in our favor because, unfortunately, J.H.I. suffered a torn ACL this weekend. But aside from that, you take carries away from Kenyon Drake to give to Frank Gore. Frank Gore is, has the hot hand. He's running well, 12 carries, 63 yards. He's pretty much unstoppable in the first half. And then the second half, you decide not to give him the football. So there's that. There's the offensive line banged up. And then you get to Ryan Tannehill make these poor-ass decisions when he's dropping back to pass. I mean, it's – it's just too much for a Dolphins fan to comprehend because we've seen it time and time again. Ever since Marino retired, this team has been gushing. We needed our franchise quarterback. We need this guy who's going to take us to the promised land. And then you get Ryan Tannehill, in my opinion. I said it before, and I got crucified on Twitter. I think he's one of, probably one of the better quarterbacks in Dolphins history when you look at him from a skill standpoint. I mean, I, I see Bob Greasy. I wasn't alive back then. But I imagine he just handed the football off and threw little – it's 10-yard passes. I mean, I don't know what the guy could do. I just ha- have a feeling he isn't the same kind of talent that Ryan Tannehill is. So you got this talent who's better than anything we've seen since Dan Marino's time. And he's out there, and he just he, he shows you this greatness. In these first two weeks, those first three weeks, the Dolphins are 3-0, and he just looks great. Everyone's like, yeah, this is our guy. This is why we didn't draft a quarterback. We're all super excited. And then these last two weeks, everything just fell apart. And we can blame coaching because Adam Gase is to blame. Adam Gase's coaching has been terrible. We've said it last week that he should hand over play calling duties to Dahl Loggins. He's not going to do that, I'm sure, but he should. He should stick to the run game more. We saw it in the beginning of the first half against Cincinnati. Then he abandoned it in the second half. We see time and time again Ryan Tannehill go out there, and he has this greatness to him, this hope that he gives all of us. And then he follows it up with games like this. I mean, whether or not the offensive line was banged up, there was the run game that was an issue, the play calling. Good quarterbacks go out there and make those plays late. And even though the Dolphins played terrible in the second half, they still had a chance. And with the game on the line, Ryan Tannehill went out there, and he did exactly what you'd expect for a Dolphins fan, exactly what you expect from Ryan Tannehill, and he laid an egg. So uh, it's just so hard to comprehend it. I try to put the fandom and, you know, try to kind of step back a little bit. But at the end of the day, I mean, uh, I'm sitting here wearing a Ryan Tannehill jersey right now because I had to prove one. That's my guy. I'm going to ride and die with him until he is no longer Miami Dolphin. But at the end of the day, uh, I said it yesterday, I think, and it's funny because I said he's, the Dolphins have an Alex Smith, but they need a Patrick Mahomes. They need an elite quarterback. And people in my mentions just blew up and said that's an insult to Alex Smith. So you're sitting here and telling me that a guy who we just invested seven years in isn't even as good as Alex Smith? That, that's, that says all you need to say about Ryan Tannehill. If you have fans coming out and saying he is not even as good as Alex Smith, what have you been doing these last seven years? I'm just going to let it that. Sutton, Kanata, it's all you. I don't yeah. know how you follow up on that one, but Sutton, <laughs> give it your best shot, man. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. And, I haven't and it's all and it's all good. You've you know been hearing about the stories we've been talking about from Cincinnati, so I know you wanted to like get in there and just come out with some haymakers. Um, I'm not much of a soapbox kind of guy. Like here, here's what I'll say about this. It's it's hard for me to criticize Ryan Tannehill because he's he's a good guy to me. It seems like you know, obviously I don't know him personally, but you know he seems like a good teammate. You know he's tough and he always takes responsibility in the press and stuff. So he just says the right things to me, and you know he, he may not have the like raw rock type of thing that maybe we want out of a quarterback, but it's and it's really hard. Well, all I can say is, you know, here here we are, year seven, and a lot of people are coming out on Twitter and like saying, "Hey, I told you so." Hey, I told you so. Hey, I told you so. Uh, talking about Ryan Tannehill not being the guy. Well, you know, 
football is an interdependent sport and as much data and science is out there right now, you're still finding largely correlational data. You're not finding uh, single factor analysis stuff because football is messy and things work together to make something happen. So you, you can't ignore the fact, though, and, and it's tough to always pinpoint what's wrong with the offense. And we've seen a consistently struggling offense over the last few years. Ryan Tannehill under a quarterback. The offensive line has, you know, rightfully come into the equation. Coaching has rightfully come into the equation. Play calling has rightfully come into the equation. Quarterback play has rightfully come into the equation. So how do we separate all of these things? But you just cannot ignore the fact that Ryan Tannehill likely has a significant role in the consistently struggling offense that we have and the volatility in his game that we mentioned. Uh, you have the highs and you have the really low lows. And something that I admitted to Matthew on the way back from from Cincinnati was, you know, after a game like that, after after watching that game unfold the way it did, you just it really shrunk the confidence that I have of what Ryan can do in a meaningful game. And especially if we were able to sneak into the wild card position here, even as close as this year, you know, what would we be able to do? Like it, it kind of damaged my trust a little bit, you know, not that I had unwavering trust before. Um, but this, this was a pretty low blow for me. Like you, you just can't lose this game. I don't care if you're playing third stringers all along the offensive line, you have to find a way to win this game when you're up three possessions in the second half, you just do, you find a way to win those games. Um, one thing I'll throw out there from a salary cap standpoint, I'm seeing talk like, Hey, we, uh, we're going to have to keep him. There's too much dead money, but we just moved on from Dominican Sue and had 9 million of dead money on the books this year. I don't think 13 million. If we really want to move on from Ryan Tannehill, I don't think that's going to be a prohibitive thing. You're absolutely right, son. I'm glad you brought up that point because I was going to bring that up as well. So you're right. They just cut in Dominican Sue and it's not about the salary cap. And we talked about this when they cut in Dominican Sue. It's about cash flow, guys, and there's guarantees and contracts. There are certain milestones, dates, and contracts that say you have to pay this guy a certain um, certain amount of money here and there. And if the Dolphins don't want to give up real cash for Ryan Tannehill in 2019, they can easily get out of it. Now, the only downside, you know, post-June 1st cut, you don't have that money until after June 1st. But in all honesty, you probably shouldn't be going crazy in free agency anyways. Uh, if they trade him, it's the same thing. Pre-June 1st, it's a wash. Post-June 1st, same exact thing. Um, we could do an entire show on the mismanagement of the Dolphins' salary cap and players' extensions. We're not going to get into that now. We talked about that in the past in the offseason and how it's just been totally mismanaged back when they did it with Ndamukong Sue and now when they did it with Ryan Tannehill. But again, that's a different conversation for a different day. Perhaps the bye week. We'll see. And you two talked about Ryan Tannehill, and I can go on and continue about Ryan Tannehill. I'm not going to focus on him completely. I'm going to say just a few things on him, but before going to the rest of the team as well. The Miami Dolphins, when you look at their total offense in comparison to the rest of the league, they're 30th in the league in yards per game at 288.2 yards per game. They are 28th for passing yards per game at 192. Point two. Points per game, when you look at that category, 
They are 28th in the league at 19.8. I saw a stat the other day, and I won't remember it off the top of my head, but Tannehill is ranked towards the very bottom of the league in all major categories. And you're paying this guy $8.6 million this year, $26.6 million in 2019 to be your quarterback. And here's my theory on Tannehill. Do I think he's good enough to win a Super Bowl? If everything is perfect around him, yes. But this is the NFL. Nothing is ever perfect in the NFL. Your offensive line will never be fully healthy unless you find a pile of luck somewhere. Your team will never be fully healthy during the season. You will get injuries. You will have mishaps. You will have blown protections, this and that. You have to be strong enough to overcome it. Now, I'm not comparing Ryan Tannehill to Aaron Rodgers, but Aaron Rodgers has a sprained knee, has a bad offensive line, and is still managing to make all sorts of plays. Tom Brady, bad offensive line for years still manages to make plays. Russell Wilson, bad offensive line, still manages to make plays. I'm tired of the excuse that the offensive line is not good enough, that the offensive line is not giving Ryan a chance. Because you know what? Sometimes you need to make things happen on your own. Sometimes you need to overcome all of that that's out there and make it happen yourself. Ryan Tannehill had a very good first season under Adam Gase. And I think everybody recognized that. And like you said, how it's, Everyone was excited after this year when they started 3-0 and when we all started thinking this is why they didn't draft a quarterback. But my theory is this. When Tannehill went out with the injury towards the end of the season in 2016, at that point, teams had more than enough tape on him in Adam Gase's offense and system to understand what Tannehill was now doing. Tannehill has failed to adjust this season. Even if you look at the Titans game, he wasn't great. If you look at the Raiders game, you take away those two, I'm going to call them fake touchdowns because there really weren't even a touchdown uh, pass. He was credited with it, but it was really a uh, shovel pass in front of him. And the other guys did all the other. And then the last two games against the Patriots, just pathetic. And the Bengals, just pathetic. He was directly responsible for 14 of the Bengals points. And he admitted it. And I know people on Twitter are saying no. But he admitted it. It's right there in front of you. He gave up 14 points directly responsible for because they took that ball and they ran it into the end zone. It wasn't like the defense failed to stop them. I think it is time to move on from Ryan Tannehill if he continues this trend. I'm not going to say definitively yet because people can change during the season, but the dude has had seven years. And I think we all know what his stripes are at this point. I don't think he could ever lead the Dolphins to a Super Bowl because nothing is ever perfect in the NFL. And nothing will ever be perfect with the Miami Dolphins, just like any other team. The Dolphins are a mess right now. When you look at their offensive line, you look at their offensive line depth. Jawan James is the second highest player, second highest paid player on offense, and he's not doing well. Laramie Tunsil, he's doing, he's doing fine. You have a center who's out for the season with torn tricep. You got another one sitting who's out, old, may not ever be fully healthy again based on his age when compared to NFL ages. Jesse Davis holding his own. Kenyon Drake trying to find his groove. Frank Gore leading the Dolphins in carries this past Sunday against the Bengals. You have fast receivers and a tall receiver and a powerful receiver in Devontae Parker who can't even get see the field because he's always hurt. And uh, you look at the offense, and this is Adam Gase's baby, which just makes it very frustrating because he handpicked all these players on his offense, starting from the very first day he walked into that building and the very first draft, which was loaded with offensive playmakers. He picked Albert Wilson. He picked Kenny Stills. He picked Jakeem Grant. He picked Ryan Tannehill. 
He picked Kilgore. He signed off on it. Even though he was hesitant to do so, he signed off on it. He picked Gazicki, and who has done nothing this season, not even shown a flash. It's frustrating because we're in year three of Adam Gase. And after year one, we all thought this team was headed in the right direction. Year two, we all kind of threw away because of Jay Cutler and the injury to Tannehill. And now year three, three and oh, hot start, baby, let's do this. And then two embarrassing losses. And I said this on Sunday. I said, it's not that the fact that the Dolphins are three and two. It's not the fact that they just lost a game to a three and one team on the road. It's the way they lost, and it's the direction they are trending in moving forward. Now, I do take some solace in how this team is going to rebound. And Jawan James, when he was interviewed on Monday by the press, one of the reporters asked him, what's the mood of the team right now? And Jawan James said, it's definitely not the same as when we were 3-0. and But at the same time, I don't see any guys wavering. I don't see any guys. I've seen guys on other teams on offense. Defense start being separated a bit, but everyone here is together. Everybody is focused on one thing, and it's the next week. That's why we got 16 games to make up for the last two. The reporter followed up with the question, does getting separated mean jawing at each other? And Juwan James said, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. You hear a little here and there, but we don't hear that this year at all. Everyone is just solid together. I feel like that's the makeup of every guy in this room. We've been together for a while, the guys that have been here, so I think that helps a lot too. So for me, that gives me solace that the Dolphins may be able to turn things around because they have a good group in the locker room. And right now, as far as what we're hearing, there's no infighting. Last year, there was a lot of that. The Dolphins got the Bears on Sunday. It's no easy task. They're very hot right now. Khalil Mack is coming off that edge. A lot of questions in terms of how the Dolphins coached the last game with not giving Sam Young any help on the left side, even though he was getting bamboozled. And Marvin Lewis even bringing it up in the press conference after the game, saying that the Dolphins coaching staff didn't want to give Young any help. But it's, uh, you know, it's it's tough, tough situation. How I'm going to throw it back to you, and then I'm going to let you lead in with a positive from Sunday's game, and that is the Miami Dolphins defense. Just to reiterate what some of you guys said, I mean, Sutton mentioned this is an 11-man game. You know, like on offense, it isn't just Ryan Tannehill who's at fault. It's the offensive lines, the receivers, it's, you know, the running backs. It's it's a little bit of everyone that's led to where we are now. But, uh, I mean, we are 3-2. and two. It's uh, ugly 3-2. and two. It's not quite what we had envisioned. It's not quite what this team appeared to be after that Raiders game. Uh, but, but one thing we do need to look at, and I mean, we you said it, Khalil Mack. I mean, it's going to be crazy matchup this week. It's going to be harder for Juwan James to contain him. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there with Tunsil most likely out, uh, whether or not the Dolphins stick to the run game. That's something we'll touch on later in the week. But one thing we haven't discussed, and it's something that I think uh, needs to be mentioned, is how well the defense has played, how well Matt Burke's defense looked on Sunday. I mean, that was a huge part of the reason. I mean, Cincinnati's offense heading into that game, I think they were averaging almost 28 or 31 points. And I mean, they were, I think it was fourth in the NFL. So, I mean, it, it was a high octane offense and the Dolphins defense just went out there and took it to them in that first half. Uh, up front, you got Vincent Taylor, Devon Godshaw. I mean, those two guys there alone, uh, you forget all about Nadam Kinsu. 
you had a guy like Charles Harris who he flashed a little bit. He didn't quite get to the quarterback. He saw some plays there where he did look lost. But at the end of the day, I mean, you saw a little bit of potential out of him. Uh, opposite him, Robert Quinn's just been awesome this season. Uh, the linebackers, I mean, Kiko Alonso, and then you go on and you see Jerome Baker, Raquan McMillan. Uh, it's it's just great to see the way this defense is coming together. By McCain's out and the secondary looks great. I mean, Rashad Jones, when he's in there, we talked about it last week. Rashad Jones is the key to that defense when he's in there. This defense has all the potential to be great. Uh, so it, it's just reassuring to see how well the defense has played, uh, particularly how well Coach uh, Matt Burke has done because the way he schemed that game last week, he was coming off the edge of blitzes, showing exotic schemes. I mean, he, he did everything you could ask of him. and his team had a huge lead heading into that second half and the offense blew it. So uh, you got to give it up to the defense. Uh, you got to wonder what Adam Gase is doing. You got to hope that, you know, he just gets things together because his coaching, his game planning, uh, it needs adjusted. And uh, I mean, it's a little early to say anything. I mean, he's 19, 18 in his career. He still has a winning record. He's a guy who got this team out to a three and two start. I mean, they go out there and they win in Chicago or they beat Chicago at home. They're four and two. And uh, you know, a lot of things are going to be different, but it's the way they lost those two games there starting to make you wonder about Adam Gase. Yeah, and we mentioned the play calling last week on the show. We even noted the opening scripts and just wanted to mention that really quick. Five games, five punts to start the game. Game one, four plays and a penalty. Game two, four plays. Game three, three and out. Game four, four plays, one penalty. We happen to be in attendance at the best opening drive we've had Seven plays for 28 yards. So you just, you would have expected to see more from a three-year offensive-minded head coach who calls his own plays. I don't think you can be any more blunt than that. You would expect someone with that responsibility over all those things to have the results a little bit better than what we have seen so far. And what's really unfortunate about this situation is like, Right now is a great time because our young D is here right now. So this is would be the perfect time for our offense to show up. And God forbid we actually play team football where both the offense and the defense are playing well at the same time. Um, now, as much criticism as Tannehill gets for that uh, weird interception bounce off the helmet thing, and, and yes, it was a, a a fairly goofy decision in, in my opinion. Um, there's just too many bodies there to risk that type of throw. And Durham Smythe never turned his head around and made himself available in any way. So you either put that ball at someone's feet, which he didn't really have the angle to do. It didn't look like maybe for a split second, but at any rate, you either take that sack or you try your best to, to throw that ball out of bounds. But anyway, on that uh, interception play, Okay, first play of that drive, we run it for two yards. The second play of that drive, we get sacked. The third play of that drive, Kenyon Drake made an amazing play where he chip-blocked Carl Lawson coming off the edge, took a little dump-off pass from Tannehill, made like four or five people miss, and converted a third and 16. How often do we do something like that? Never. So Drake does that, and then we go right back. First down, run for two yards. So on second down, we're going to run a long developing play action pass with Sam Young that just came into the game. Like, I, I just, I don't understand that play call, especially if you're 
are weary about the risk of having a long developing play action pass when the pass rush is probably going to be a little bit better than what your offensive line is going to be able to give to you. Um, I just, I, I didn't like that play call there. I, I didn't think that was very smart. Uh, unfortunately, it turned into a disaster play call. Um, and then you even go back before that to the third and one play that we ran. It was after the Cincinnati field goal. So we're getting the ball back right after Cincinnati gets their field goal. And we, and we ran with uh, Frank Gore twice, I believe, one for five yards for the first play and then four yards for the second play. And MC Money, I think you would agree with me, there were running lanes there. Um, and we had a pretty nice viewpoint from where we were sitting. We were able to see um, the offensive line pretty well and see those gaps develop. And uh, there were running lanes there to be had. And to come out, get those two consecutive uh, runs, get it to third and one, and, you know, had a chance to get another first down. We end up going uh, with the long pass to Kenny Stills. And here's what I want to say about that play. Someone's going to come out and say, well, Sutton, that's aggressive. We came out and passed the ball at third and one. And you, yeah, that is one way to look at it. Another way to think of it as being aggressive is coming out and saying like, oh, hey, remember we're up 17 to three. I'm going to come out and I'm going to ram this ball down your throat uh, for the next seven minutes and let you stew on the fact that I'm going to leave this stadium with a win because I'm going to establish this ground game. And I think we easily could have gotten the third and one. And God forbid we actually like just rush up to the line of scrimmage and run a QB sneak. It seems like we never have that type of like think on the fly mentality at all. Um, but anyway, would have loved to have seen a run there and just, and, and I would have lived with it if we didn't get it there because I know we would have been trying to make a statement there by being on the road and coming right back, getting another first down and be able to bleed some more clock and just really disappointed in that play call too, just because like how it said earlier, we abandoned the run game. It ended up being 35 Tannehill dropbacks to 22 rushes. And even if you throw out that garbage 25 yard run that Kenyon Drake had at the end of the game, you're still looking at close to a five yard um, per carry average. So it's not like we didn't have the ground game going either. So just really disappointed in the play calling. You expect way more from the offense. And hopefully we see a resilient Adam Gase team again uh, finish out the rest of the season because the offense, the way it's working right now, it's not very successful. All right. Hope we didn't depress you too much with this episode, but I think it was important that we have to tell you like it is. And the state of the Dolphins right now is a mess, and it's going to continue to be a mess until the Dolphins prove otherwise, until they put together a complete game for four full quarters. I said before they embarked on the Bagels game, if they go on, if they go two and two in this four game stretch, it will be okay because two really tough road teams and then two games at home. So the chance for two and two is still there. Don't get me wrong. I think we're all just very upset of the way that game ended on Sunday and the way that they've played the past two weeks. Hope is not lost. I know it seems so far away, and it is in a way. And when we start losing faith in Ryan Tannehill, the quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, it makes it even harder to see the light at the end of the tunnel. 
So, and you just kind of gave your last thoughts and everything. How do you have any last thoughts before we wrap up the show? Just one more thing. I mean, the thing that's most frustrating, and you said it, we were banging the table to at least draft a quarterback. I mean, I think his biggest competition since he's been here was David Garrard, and, you know, they brought in Matt Moore. So it's that's the most frustrating thing is to know that uh, even despite his injuries that we kind of knew, you know, they could ha- come up again, it could happen again because it's the human body and anything can happen. They still decided to neglect the position. And, I mean, again, I, I don't think this is the end of Ryan Tannehill. You guys mentioned his contract. I think he's probably going to be here another year. But in that next year, 2020, when his contract expires, they need to find an elite quarterback, a guy who can go out there and win those games that, you know, you saw on Sunday that he couldn't quite do. So uh, there's that. And one thing, I mean, it's not time to jump off the the end of, you know, the end of the cliff. This isn't time to say that this season's over because it's not. We're three and two. They go out there and beat Chicago. They're four and two and things look a lot different. But um, besides the record, this team has some things that they need to figure out if they want to make a legit shot at the playoffs. And I think that's the biggest thing is, can the Dolphins get there? We saw them do it a couple years ago in 2016, but you never thought they were going to win that game. Matt Moore wasn't going to win that game. If Ryan Tannehill was out there, maybe in our hearts we thought he'd win that game, but he probably wouldn't have won that game. So at the end of the day, uh, whether or not the Dolphins can get to the playoffs, that's one thing, but they need to do a lot of things differently. They need to come together. That offensive line is gelled. And like I think it was Kanata, you said, this defense is at an all-time – or Sutton. This defense is doing so good this year. They're continuing to grow. This is going to be, you know, one of the top defenses in the NFL for years to come. Uh, you can't waste those years. You need to go out there and you need to find someone, if not Ryan Tannehill, someone that can lead this team. So, uh, fins up. Let's hope things get better because there's a lot of season left to play. All right. I think that's going to do it. For us here on this episode for Finsider Radio, we will have a Chicago Bears versus Miami Dolphins preview later in the week. We do have a reporter from SB Nation coming on who covers the Bears on a daily basis to kind of give us a rundown of what we're looking at when we're going up against the Bears on Sunday. And then we'll give our normal breakdowns as well. That's going to do it for here this week on Finsider Radio. Again, we hope you didn't get depressed too much listening to this show, but again, it was important to give it like it is. For Houts and Sutton, I am Matt Kanata. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you later in the week. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one.
Hello, you are listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.